Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself not just through creation, but also through your word that we might be able to see and know who you are and the promises which you have told to your people. Lord, we understand that your word is like fire that is like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, set your word of fire ablaze within our hearts, that you would break our sinful hearts into pieces. Lord, that it would divide uh, into the marrow of our hearts, that you would do that great work of the great surgeon through the Holy Spirit, that we might be able to uh, see our sin, but also see the hope of the gospel found in Jesus Christ and his kingdom, that his kingdom has no end pray that you'd be with us as we seek to be able to understand this, uh, these passages this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Obadiah 10 to 21. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and strangers entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deed shall return on your own head. For as you have Drunk on my holy mountain on all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Sephila shall possess the land of the Philistines, and they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and exiles of this host of peoples of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shepharad shall possess the cities of Negev. Survivors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We come to the book, end of the book of Tension, With this past and present, we've seen this tension throughout. We see this tension in the present time. But now we look to the future. 
the future where this tension is no more. Obadiah's historical context, again, is, is difficult to be able to pinpoint as we've been looking through this book. You can say you might lean one side to another, but be able to say it is this or this is very difficult. Ninth century or sixth century, as the nation of Israel, uh, nation of Edom has taken over, as they look to the misfortunes that happened to Judah and swooped in like jackals or hyenas, vultures, whether the nation of Babylon or several, several nations under Jehoram who followed in the ways of Ahab, and here uh, Judah struggles and, and is defeated. But even whichever era or time it is, each of these times possess a glorious promise given to them by God, that he is not the God who is going to forget nor neglect his people. In 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 19, it says, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. Or you, you look forward to that, ninth, uh, that sixth century time in Jeremiah 29. We know this verse quite well. But 10 and 14, and, and Jeremiah speaks to the people of Israel, and he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore the fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. Here you see these glorious promises as Israel is struck down. It seems that it's been kicked while it's down by their distant cousins of Esau. But here this judgment is spoken of what's happening to Edom. Now God is going to step in and, and fight for his people because they have done this not merely just to any nation, but to his people. Ever we see the Bible is written that all may be able to learn about who God is and what he is requires of man. But we see that those who love God, who loves God's word, but we also see those who reject God's word. Again, Jeremiah in chapter 8 says, The wise shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? We see these warnings recorded but not heeded. We see these sermons preached but not heard. We see a letter sent but not opened. We see a parable told but not understood. And we see here this book written by Obadiah, by a worshiper of God, is now written to another nation. Not to God's people. But here we understand that it's in the book that God has revealed for his people to read. That God's people find comfort in this book. Why is this important? You think about it. Judah, either in the 9th or 6th century, 
They've been ransacked, robbed, attacked. Their close relatives have come in right at when they're, they're very low. They're standing on the outskirts laughing, mocking. Eventually, they're going to go in and take what is left. Nothing is to their name. They were kicked while they were down. Imagine you get the knock on the door, and it's the police, and and you've been wrongly accused, and they're arresting you, taking you out of your house. And as they arrest you, you see some distant cousins coming back. You might have seen them at a family reunion once or twice. You know kind of who they are, but you wouldn't remember any of their names. But here they are. Instead of trying to find legal advice or counsel, they're sitting there laughing and mocking. And then as soon as you walk out the door, they're walking in and taking all your stuff. And here, you see the similar thing at the end of Lord of the Rings, Bilbo, or in The Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins comes back, and what are they doing? He's been robbed. His items are being sold. And here Israel is at the, at the depths of their, their valley. They're, they've been ransacked, robbed. They're in political turmoil, taken over. Their allies nearby have turned their backs on them. Or they're even worse, they're strangers or exiles in a foreign land. Robbed, mocked, mistreated. However, this is why we often need to keep on reading. In the Bible, Psalms often begin as horrific times for the people of God as they've been mistreated, persecuted, trials and tribulations. But you've got to read to the end. You've got to see the outcome. What happens to these people? What happens to God's people? It's exactly what happens in Psalm six, uh, 73. For I was of, envious of the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know is their knowledge of the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. In all vain they have kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocent. All day long I was been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, it would have betrayed the generation of your children. Here we look out and the wicked prosper. They're boasting, they're laughing, they're mocking, persecuting God's people. And here we are in the middle, wherever it's 6th century, ninth century, wherever we find ourselves in, and the people are, are in the bottom of a valley. You turn to a book like Obadiah to be able to find comfort of what happens in the end. You keep on reading. As Psalm 73 says, verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this and seemed to me wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. We see that exact ending here in the book of Obadiah. 
The enemies of God are attacking them, robbing them, mocking them, laughing at them, boasting of their pride and their arrogance. Look how great we are. No one will bring us to the ground. But here it's the promise of God to his people. They will see the end of those who attack them. That's what you see here in the verses of 19 to 21. The Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Possess the land of the Philistines. Possess the land of Ephraim and Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The host of all the people shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The exiles of Jerusalem who are in uh, Stepherod shall possess the cities of Negev. Six times in this short little passage, we see the people of God are the one with the great possessions in the end. That here we see six times in these three verses that the people of God possess the enemy's land. Again, this is a fulfillment of that promise God made to Abraham. He says in Genesis chapter 22, I will bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as the sea on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Now again, why is this important? You need to understand this is important as as common practice in this time that, that when you went and fought against a people group, if you won you merely wouldn't just be able to have the boasting rights of being able to say, we won this battle. You would, what you would win is their land, their city that you overtook. Sometimes even the people. Now this again might be a shock to our ears. You don't understand that this was the culture and the time that they lived. We cannot really just think that there's a nice big house down the road And you think to yourself, well, there's an older couple there. Maybe I could fight them and win. Go, you know, fight them, overtake them, and just claim right to their house. But it's not such a far-fetched idea when we think even about the world that we live in. The reality is, is that nations fight over borders all the time. Still happens. We, We don't fight a physical battle here. We would fight a legal battle to be able to fight over rights and properties and titles. We don't fight with swords, but with lawyers. You can kind of decide which one's worse. But again, I think there's larger, more important things that are at work in this passage. Larger implications. Well, we think about it not just merely as God's people been conquered and then taken over and then God's people getting the land back. But think about it in Christ. Christ is the one who conquers our enemies for us. That Christ has defeated and conquered all of his and our enemies. And what Christ defeats then comes under Christ's rule. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, and he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, 
It is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be in all in all. Here Christ came down and he defeats our enemies for us. We don't need to go fight our enemies. Christ has defeated them already. Or as Paul writes in Colossians, that Christ disarmed the rulers, the authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. But also it's more than merely just that there's conquering of this possession of land. There are so many levels here. Here you see Adam given the garden to oversee it, to work it and keep it. But he needed to obey God's word. He failed to do so to be able to cast out to cast out the Satan. So what happens to him? He is cast out of this land, this land that he is meant to possess and look after. Moses in the wilderness, the people complain about God in the wilderness. And what they do is they reject the land which they are meant to possess. And then finally Joshua comes, and they're meant to go into the land which they possess. They're meant to drive out all of the enemies, meant to conquer them, but they fail to do so. They turn to false worshipers. You turn a couple of pages, judges, the same problem. They actually actually become more like other nations. They let the nations come in and take over. First, second Samuel, first and second Kings. Again, they rebel against God's promises. The land which God was meant to use and for them to be able to possess as their inheritance. They fail to do so. What happens? They don't possess the land that God gives them. They're actually cast out. They're actually sojourners in a different land. Throughout all of this, we see that their sin is the reason of their rejection of the land. They cannot possess the land because of their sin. They're cast out. But here we see the event, not only that Christ possesses all things, but he also shows us that his land cannot be taken over. Jesus in the garden obeys God's will. Jesus in the wilderness rejects Satan's lies and follows God's word. Jesus does not partially destroy the enemy, but totally and finally defeats the enemy. Jesus does not let other nations creep in, but leads his people and they remain holy and pure and blameless. Jesus, the perfect king, leads his people perfectly and establishes perfect laws. He is the one, the divine warrior who defeats the enemy for us in all of these things, that he is the one who possesses land that gives us to us as an inheritance. That's what you see here in verse 21. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule. Mount Esau, the kingdom of the, shall be the Lord's. The final word in Obadiah is not the judgment over the enemies of God. It's the victory of God's people. That the kingdom is the Lord's. Daniel puts it this way in chapter 7. I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven were come up like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory in the kingdom of all peoples, nations, languages, who would serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. 
and His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Here we even see in, in Obadiah that the, the hopelessness of this earthly kingdom filled with sinners, that others might creep in, but not in Christ's kingdom, not in the Lord's kingdom. That's why it's important when Jesus came down, his sermon he preached, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think to bring it down to us as well, when we think about this, that is not the enemy out there, but also that we were once enemies of God. Paul writes in Romans, For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love that for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We read Obadiah and we look at all the enemies out there of God's people, but we were once enemies of God. And God said, you, I'm sending my son. This is how much I love you to be able to die for you. That now we're reconciled to God. No longer enemies, but sons and children of God. Welcomed in. That Obadiah merely isn't just a book written for that 9th century, 6th century. But comfort for us. That we are the enemies who stood proudly against God, boasting, attacking. We're the ones that deserve judgment and wrath in that day, death and punishment for destruction. We are the ones who deserve to be cut off, but instead we are reconciled because what Christ has done and accomplished. That we are forgiven, we are redeemed. We're called children of God, not his enemies. That we go up to Mount Zion and take refuge in him. That's what we see. Christ comes to be able to save us, to deliver us. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion and rule Mount Esau. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. Or as Isaiah puts it in chapter 19. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and will deliver them. We see Christ comes and his kingdom has no end. We, the enemies, are now welcomed in, reconciled to God. What a glorious truth that is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you for even an obscure book like the book of Obadiah, that we see the, the heart of the gospel. Lord, as we understand that we were once enemies of you, 
set our hearts against you, set our minds opposed to you. Lord, that we sought to be able to do what is right in our own eyes, attacking your very word which you have given to us. But yet, Lord, the great glorious promise, what Christ has done to be able to accomplish for us. That through Christ, we're reconciled. That through Christ, we have a kingdom that has no end. Through Christ, we have one who is able to defeat all of his and our enemies finally and totally. Lord, let us find our rest and solace in you. Let us not be proud and boastful. But Lord, let us seek to be able to worship and adore Christ and for who he is and what he has done for us. We pray this in his blessed and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.